Hey there, I'm Dana, a registered dietitian and registered dietitian exam tutor. And this is my podcast where we go over all of the questions that have been posted to my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Study Group with Dana over the past week. And we not only chat about the answers, but why are they the answers as well as answer any questions that students have posted on the page throughout the week. This is a weekly podcast, so be sure to tune in each week for new questions. And of course, I would love to see any of you guys at the live version of this on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So our first question we have is about if you have a 40-year-old male who's admitted to the hospital with stage 4 pancreatic cancer, which is what I see all the time working on oncology, he has significant amount of weight loss um, due to poor appetite throughout the chemotherapy treatment over the past five months. What would you expect to find on his nutrition-focused physical exam? So the nutrition-focused physical exam what is sometimes the hardest part is when they're asking you questions about it and you do not kind of remember the different names of like the muscles and the fat pads and everything too. So definitely if it's been a bit since you've done anatomy, I highly recommend um, you do a little Google search for like the nutrition focus physical exam. I'll also put a link to it on the Facebook page too. Or if you're one of the people who only listens to this podcast, just shoot me an email, nutrition at gmail.com, and I'll send it to you. But you want to make sure that you kind of remember the different names of the muscles and different things too, because what how they'll get you on these questions is they'll be specific. They'll be like, where would you see fat wasting? Where would you see muscle wasting, right? And you want to be thinking about, okay, well, is that muscle? Is that fat? And always when I teach about the nutrition-focused physical exam, I always tell my students, I'm like, the best thing you can do when you're getting asked a question about nutrition-focused physical exam is to poke yourself, right? So like if I'm saying, hmm, are the orbital fat pads fat? Well, they're fat pads. Okay, that was a bad example. But, you know, if it was like the orbital, you know, under in the orbital region, you know, is that fat or muscle? Right, I should, you know, kind of poke under my eyes. Those of you guys on the podcast are missing my beautiful demonstration, right? But this is fat pads, right? My my cheeks, right? But my cheek are the fat pads. Versus if you kind of take your fingers, like pretend like you're like a little flight attendant to left and right, put them, kind of follow your eyebrows down, like right behind your eyebrows, and you open your mouth, right? You can feel that muscle move. So that's gonna that's gonna be muscle, right? Versus if you're talking about your clavicle and you're feeling, right, you're feeling the bone and then right underneath that, right, that's muscle. So it's sometimes hard to be like, is it fat or muscle? So like literally, right, like kind of like poke yourself, grab it, you know, like if I'm thinking about, you know, my tricep, right, that's going to be, you know, looking at my subcutaneous fat, luckily, if you're on the live, you see I'm not malnourished. I know you guys were all worried. Um, but don't be afraid to kind of poke yourself too. Because when you're having a patient who's having, you know, severe muscle and fat wasting, a lot of the time where you're seeing it first is you can be seeing it in the orbital fat pad. So looking at like those really sunken eyes, you're going to be seeing it in their temporalis muscles. So it looks like someone kind of took a scoop out of the side of your face. You're seeing their clavicle on their deltoid, right, which is their shoulder, right? My shoulders, well, I mean, I'm in a sweater. 
but my shoulder's nice and round, right? If you have someone who has severe muscle wasting, it's gonna be very, you know, very square. If we go back to my tricep, I'm gonna be, if I, you kind of, so if you're following along on, you're pinching yourself while you're on the podcast, kind of, you know, put your hand around your arm and then kind of just slide down with your um, thumb and index finger and you're pinching that skin. If your fingers touch, or they're very close to touching, right? That's concern that you're having. You're not having enough fat stores, right? Hopefully we're all not malnourished. Let me know. I'll be your dietitian. So you want to be kind of thinking about, well, is that fat? Is that muscle? What, you know, what does it, what does it look like too? Um, And then they'll try to kind of trick you too. So remember edema can also be a like a sign of malnutrition on the nutrition focused physical exam because what you're thinking about for edema that's driven by malnutrition is from the albumin right albumin is going to help with our oncotic pressure which means it's helping keep things in place well not things water in place and so if we're not able to have enough albumin right from malnutrition or it could be um, you know, inflammation, liver disease, whatever reason that can cause me to have edema. So the edema that's talked about on the nutrition focused physical exam that would be with malnutrition isn't for someone who has renal disease or heart failure. This is when you're having like that true, you know, malnutrition or some malnutrition edema. You can also call this anasarca or third spacing So just having edema alone isn't necessarily going to mean that you have malnutrition, but you want to kind of look at the whole picture. So on those questions, you know, kind of thinking about, you know, if you're doing your patient's nutrition-focused physical exam, how would you expect things to look is really, really going to help you out. Okay, next one, we got a math one, and I know you guys hate math, so definitely Come to the math boot camp class. We're doing, we're doing that live on the 18th of October, or you can also get it on the record version on my website. But this student says, hi, I've been looking at this question for 10 minutes, which is always a great reason to ask it on the page here to help. I can't understand, you know, the explanation. So again, just because something has an explanation doesn't mean, right, that it is going to make sense for your brain. So as you're studying, you always want to make sure that you are leaving a question going, does this make sense for my brain? Because all of our brains work different. So if you're reading something, you're like, that doesn't make sense, ask it. So here's the question. It's off pocket prep. A cafeteria spent 51.3% of their income on food last month. The total food cost for the month was $4,322. What was the total cafeteria income for this? All right, so we have a few, we have a few pieces of information. And so what we're saying here is we're saying we want to know what was the total income. And so I would start any math problem by kind of thinking about what information I got. So I know the cafeteria spent 51.3% of their income on food. So if I kind of am writing that out, right, the money I spent on food, right, which is my four, 
my 4,322 right over the total income that I do not have is going to be equal to 51.3%. Now you can either do algebra on this, but I know a lot of you guys hate algebra. So I will share with you my favorite thing to do, which is just my cross multiplication, right? So 4,322 over the income of X should equal, right, 51.3 over 100. So if we cross multiply, if we cross multiply that, right, what we're going to be ending up with is that X is going to equal 8,400 and 24.95, well, 95 cents. So remember, sometimes with these equations, right, it's not necessarily one that you need to be like, oh my goodness, like, what's the equation? Because if I'm telling you, you know, my food cost, right, percentage, the percent of my income that went towards food was 51%, right, that's food cost over my income. So when we're thinking about percentage, it's parts of, right? So I always like to give the example, right? Because I live in Boston and why is the rent so expensive here? Who knows, right? So a lot of time, like when I'm talking with my friends and colleagues, everyone's like, okay, like we're always trying to spend less than 30% of our income on a housing. I can't remember if that's the regular amount. That's probably way too high. But anyway, so you're thinking about, okay, what I pay in rent over my, you know, monthly income if I'm doing monthly or annual too. So with the math, you want to make sure that you're kind of walking through, you're walking through it slowly. Okay. Then we got a great question, which is asking about a study tip over like an exam question. And this student was saying, anyone have any tips for studying for the exam with people with ADD or ADHD besides using timers? I'm not taking the exam until early next summer, they say, but I want to start early. So definitely, too, my first piece of advice is to kind of make sure you're doing an evaluation of yourself because from working for over three years with many, many students, I mean, I would say a good, at least third of my students have ADHD or ADD. It means something different to everyone. So you, you always know yourself best. And this exam is really, really long. So one thing to remember, and that has worked well for my students, is especially thinking about exam day, you can apply for test-taking accommodations for either of these conditions. And what I have had my students use it for is especially the extra time. It's just really nice to be able to kind of be able to take a break do a lap around, kind of go to the bathroom just for kind of to get, you know, out of that space and come back. Um, but you can also get a private room where if you are going to be annoyed and distracted by hearing people, right, because there's people next to you, right? So you could hear them, you know, rustling their papers. You can hear them breathing. If that, if you know that's going to bother you, then you want to make sure you are requesting a private room. So that's kind of the first piece of advice of making sure you're applying for those test-taking accommodations. Even if you don't think you need them, they are a game changer. I have had a lot of students who the first time they take the exam, they don't use the accommodations. 
And then the second time they do, and it's it's a really big thing. So I always say across the board, for if you have any condition that can get an accommodation, get it. If you don't use it, great, but get it if you are eligible. The other thing to remember is especially when you're studying, it's not going to work for you to do really, really long, you know, chunks of time. So doing like 45 minutes is a great thing. But then also being task oriented, right? Just studying the vitamin, like saying, oh, today I'm going to study vitamins and minerals. What does that mean, right? Versus like for my students who are in my courses and, you know, like I think about the vitamin and mineral section of my course, you know, the first thing they're doing is watching, right? The general review video. That's, you know, like an hour class and they're able to say, okay, I'm going to watch that, check that off, take a little break, come back. Then you, you know, then it's like, do the quiz. Okay, do that, can take a break. Then it's going to be to watch the practice question class. Then do the study guide, then do the homework. So it's really helpful to do courses like the signature course where you're learning in a variety of ways and it's task oriented. So you can kind of assign yourself the task, say, I'm going to finish this task, then I can do something else. And that way you're not kind of in, you know, a little hamster wheel too. But those are kind of general um, recommendations too. Of course, if we're working one-on-one, I can get a little bit more specific with you, but it, it just means something different to everyone else. So again, make sure you are, you know, getting any documentation you need for the for the accommodations. And there's also a whole podcast episode about the accommodations too. So definitely check that out, but I'll put in the show notes of this episode how to get those accommodations. It's a really great one, something to be doing. Okay, next one is for a student, she's saying, I got a similar question on my last exam, but wasn't sure how to answer this. So we have patient post-surgery after motorcycle accident. They present with low albumin, low sodium, and malnutrition. What are you concerned with? Volume overload, low volume, malnutrition or infection. So, right, there's a lot of different options here, a lot of information. It's difficult, right, when there's so much information. So I can do my read through and then say, okay, I want to think about what are they giving me? Is there anything I can cross off? Is there anything I can do my squiggle? And if you come to any of my practice question classes, you know, I my squiggle is like, could be, and that helps me from crossing out like things that could be the answer because remember, we're looking for the best answer. So I don't want to be going through the answers and going, oh, that's it 100% and not looking at anything else. I do my squiggle to say, "Mm, that's looking good, but let me make sure nothing below it's better. So, right, let's see. So we have the patient is post-op, right? So if any of you guys have gotten surgery, you know they load you up with fluids, right? So they... You, anytime you're getting surgery, you get a lot of fluids. So already I'm like, okay, trauma, got a lot of fluids in the OR. They have low albumin, probably from that inflammation from the accident, from the surgery, probably from the volume overload. Like, I don't know anything about his nutritional status, but I'm like, these are other things that support low sodium. You have hyponutremia goes with that and malnutrition, right? They're already telling us we have they have malnutrition. So then it's saying, what is our concern with? So I, as the dietitian, right, I already told you this patient has volume overload. So is that like 
my concern, I mean, I would be concerned about maybe I'm doing tube feed, maybe I'm doing TPN, so I'm gonna do my squiggle. Okay. Low volume, no, this patient's volume overload, cross that out. Malnutrition, yes, right, my job, my job is malnutrition, yes. An infection, eh, always, right, but I'm not, like, that's other people's concern, I'm not seeing something like high, high blood sugars, other things. So then I'm saying, I'm the dietitian. Is my concern more malnutrition or volume overload when the volume overload probably has other reasons for it? So that makes it more, um, more of when we're thinking about, you know, that the malnutrition would be my main concern here. Based on the information that they're saying he presented with malnutrition. Now, in the comments of this too, a lot of people were like, well, I would say more volume overloaded because, you know, he's not necessarily like malnourished from the bike accident, but they're telling us he was. So if it didn't say malnutrition, like that he came in with malnutrition, I would do volume overload. So I like my order of what I'd pick would be malnutrition because that's what I'm concerned about over everything else, then volume overload too. So definitely, definitely a tricky Definitely a tricky question. Next one is one for me that no one wanted to answer. I know I always scare you guys sometimes with my open-ended, but one of the things you'll notice is the reason why I like to do open-ended and for any of my one-on-one -on -one group or signature course students, you know a lot of your homework is open-ended is because especially as you're going through studying, I like you guys to learn. I don't want you to memorize. I want you to learn. So when you're seeing me write, define standardized recipes, something should come to mind. If your mind is blank, you got to go study that, right? Something should come to mind. And when you have that recall, that quick recall without necessarily needing an answer bank, when you get an answer bank, you're going to be like, wow, Dana, these questions are so easy with an answer bank. So standardized recipes are used in the kitchen. And what this is for is so you can very easily replicate the recipe again and again and again. So it doesn't matter what, if I'm making it, if you're making it, if someone else is making it, the chocolate chip pancake recipe is always going to be good because everyone's following the same exact thing. I'm sure we've all been places and I feel like this is always like the college dining hall where it's like when that one chef is working, there's like the pancakes are extra good. And if it's not him, they're not, they're not good. So it allows us to kind of have easy repetition but also from an inventory management perspective, it makes sure like everyone's using the same amount of chocolate chips, um, you know, and it also makes the workflow easier and stops you from like overusing, overusing the inventory, the inventory as well too. The next question was about the different stages in alcoholic liver disease. And remember, they're very, they're very similar, right? Of it just, of non-alcoholic, it just depends, the etiology, right? So you're starting out with fatty liver, then you're having, right, our hepatitis, then we're going into fibrosis, then we're going into cirrhosis. So the progression's the same. What differs is, like I said, the etiology. So if you're working with alcoholic liver disease, the M&T for it, right, it's going to be number one, avoid alcohol, right? high calorie, high protein diet, 
Verse, if you're having non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, this is typically from overconsumption of calories. So like it's like more of our MNTs focus on losing weight, exercise, really healthy diet, but still you have high calorie, high protein needs. So definitely want to understand the difference with that. Next one is the goal of HIPAA is what? A, to protect healthcare provider from malpractice lawsuits. B, to protect patients from potentially harmful treatment. C, to provide efficiency in sharing patient information. Or D, to protect patient information. And that one is going to be D, right? This is all about protect, protecting the, um, the information. Next one, a poorly controlled asthmatic, right? So someone has asthma, has been admitted to the hospital with acute asthma flare, you know, a long history of prednisone use, which nutrient may be at risk for deficiency? So what should come to mind is, right, anytime you hear zone, you should think steroid, right? And the most common nutrient, it, like nutrition issue, is going to be more the high blood sugar concern, right? But this question is not asking me about that, right? It's saying, what what nutrient deficiency is it? So, you know, if nothing comes to mind, look at it. So we have A, calcium, vitamin D. B, just vitamin D. C, phosphorus, or D, not enough information to do this question. And remember, with our steroids, besides knowing that they're also going to raise to raise the blood sugar up, you also want to know that they can also put you they can also put you at risk for developing for developing bone disease too. So you want to make sure that for your MNT and this one, you're thinking about you know blood sugar blood sugar control, but then also thinking about blood sugar control, but then also thinking about, too, the risk of bone disease. Thanks for tuning in for this week's practice question review. Don't forget that we are doing these live on my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Tutoring with Dana RD, every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I would love to have you join live. You can also head to my website, danajfnutrition.com, to find out about the latest classes, as well as study tips and services. Thanks for tuning in.